Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And um, there's nothing more well advised than drinking near a bunch of Audio recording equipment. Yeah, I really feel good having multiple <laughs> open liquids next to what I can only assume is hundreds or possibly thousands of dollars worth of microphones and stuff. Um, speaking of which, um, we, of course, had our signature cocktail, the Lit Reindeer. I just want to say, when I made it, it made what I would describe as four drinks rather than two. So I just want to say, in case somebody's driving later, you know, yeah. take it easy. Yeah. Don't rush through it. You don't have to um, finish... The entire amount that gets made from that. I mean, like, I will, but, uh, you know. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, save some for uh, Succession. Um, yes, or, as or, Mallory points out in the chat, um, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Yes. Whatever your next viewing will be. Both uh, gripping dramas um, about an aspirational society. <laughs> <laughs> And people who should be in prison. People who should be in prison. Yeah, I mean, that is a really good catch-all for all things Housewives and— uh, Premium cable dramas. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining yes. us. Welcome. Um, we love you guys. Happy holidays. Happy um, holidays. We're very excited. And of course, if you are a listener, it, this, it was the natural film to do. Yes. We are, of course, doing a, a film delayed uh, because of the pandemic. Oh, really? And was this like slated for much earlier? Yes, I believe it was going to come out in May, uh, May of 2020. So it was like I right, see. we were, it, it was right within our gas, grasp, but it got pushed to this fall. And of course, we are doing Scott Cooper's Antlers uh, and, and sort of like what got people excited about it. It's uh, executive produced by Guillermo del Toro. So you know you're going to get some fantastic monster visuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, this movie gives you a lot of stuff, maybe too much, I would say, but it definitely gives you a very spooky animal. I mean, creature, the human. Spooky- the spookiest of all. And, of Asserted. course, the the character, yes, is the Cervid. Um, and I just wanted to share a little Cervid mm. uh, anecdote. Because I was trying to, you know, Cervids come up in a lot of horror movies, as you know, if you listen. Um, they represent nature, vulnerability, the animal, the hunted. You know, like, there's so many uses for a Cervid. And I guess. And it made me... I mean, <laughs> and I say, get rid- we've used them up. We don't you know need what I mean? them. We've, we, have, we don't need them anymore. But I was just remembering driving home in my mother's Toyota Sienna one night. She's driving. Okay. A, so we didn't hit a, a, a deer. A deer hit us. A deer hit the side of the uh, minivan. Luckily, everything was fine. And the deer ran off. I don't know what happened. But I was like, we don't know if that was intentional. And we'll never know. Well, that's the thing about servants is, like, that's I can only the assume thing. they have the worst intentions. They are vehicular chaos. Like, they are menaces to uh, driving culture. There was, that, there was that story about New York One was covering it where they were trying to— um, 
uh, I always say the wrong thing, and I'm like, I'm like, circumcise? No, um, castrate. <laughs> circumcise the deer. <laughs> they had to, they're castrating all the deer on Staten Island because they were like r- reproducing so quickly, and then also I think they had other problems, and like I think that like ticks on deer carry Lyme disease. There's like so many. Right, like, yeah. I can't name a good thing about a deer. I'll be honest. I, I for a second I thought you were saying that the. Uh, Stand Island had a lot of other problems, so they were castrating deer just to relax, just to yeah. like get out there. And I'm like, this is what we do to unwind after things are so terrible. You know, and I, I circumcising deer, I mean, listen, somebody's got to try it, have tried it in the past, and, you know, I'm I assuming guess, got killed by it. Yeah, I guess deer all animals are uncut. <laughs> Damn. Wow, you're here to hear first. We'll put that in a mug. Yeah. So... Let us begin, of course, as we begin every Ruined episode, by forcing Allison to watch the trailer for 2021's Antlers. Antlers, antlers, antlers. Those sounds. Yes, as a 90s kid who grew up with the Jurassic Park, there are a lot of what I would describe as raptor sounds, sort of that like low, like throaty rumble mixed with like an animal howl or scream. And I will say, this is a movie where like it's so dark. And I I saw in the theaters, thank goodness. There's certain moments where I, because I watched it again at home, using perhaps a link that was not on the up and up, just to make sure I had all the details. Sure. And someone recorded it in the theater, and you can't see a goddamn thing if you're in a brightly lit, uh, brightly lit um, room. So you pretty much had the the experience of watching the trailer in bright sunlight, is what I would say. Yeah, wonderful. Um, uh, and your reactions? What are your thoughts, your feelings about the trailer? Is that Carrie Russell? It is. She is our protagonist, Julia. And, of course, Jesse Plemons is her brother, Paul. Yes. Two phenomenal Incredible actors. actors. And the child actor whose name I don't know, I can look up if the chat wants to know. He's just a little guy. He's phenomenal. Everyone oh, in this is great. Um, I don't— Which does elevate the show. Yes. Or elevate the, the material. Yeah. Well, now we have to live up to the high standards of acting that they're setting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't love it. Right. <laughs> I thought it was scary. I, did. I don't like that there's a mine— Involved? Yeah. Oh, I saw your face when they said mine. It was, I like, was like, I'm going to stop you right there. I thought, like, we're Woods is bad enough. Mine uh-huh. is terrible. My, like, mine is worse um, than Woods. I saw a TikTok, and it was, like, somebody— no. It was, like, a, an actual miner, and they're whipping, like, through, like, the mine, and they're all, like, having fun, like, smiling their miner hats— and then it's a Halloween video, so the the person driving no. has a like a clown mask on, and they're I, I don't know enough about mines, but they're driving like a little cart. You know, there's a railway track, like a tiny little mine cart. And one of the comments was, "How did this guy get this recording of a dream?" And that's what it felt like. It's like you um, there's no sunlight, and you yeah. just see someone with a clown head, no, just fucking booking it through a mine. No, absolutely not. That is, I'd watch that horror movie though. Ter- I mean, and we would cover it. Um, we also like to take a baseline scary. And I think, you know, what I'm going to ask you, Allison, I mean, it's the the time has come. We've talked about them for uh, practically a year and a half. We talk about them Over all two the time. years. Yes. Since the beginning of when we started recording. How scary do you find the concept of servants? <sighs> so scary. They are, mm-hmm. as we addressed Break earlier, just like us. from a, you know, from a, from a dangerous driving standpoint, that's already its own thing. But like, I think the fact that they're like, expressionless is yes. scary. Yes, a dead black eye, like yeah, a shark, yeah. like, do- or a doll eye. A doll eye, like, like a, doll's a glass. Eyes. Yeah, glassy eye, and, like, everything's, like, there's nothing, like, cuddly about them. Like, there's some, like, wild animals where you're like, oh, that's, like, 
you know, it looks furry and kind of, like, fun. Like, deer are, like, they feel, like, basically, like, nude, you know? Oh, well, I mean, I mean and they're not circumcised, so we're going to start right there. <laughs> right, they're not circumcised, which is a huge problem. Um, not really. We we support the non-circumcision of deer. I yes. don't want anyone to think we have to go out there. Yeah, and they're like, perfect the way they are, yes. their penises specifically. <laughs> I'm sorry I took us down this road. Allison, back to you. <laughs> I just didn't think we would get to deer penises so quickly and often in this episode. We have not even brought up the actual meat of the film. No, not at all. And the meat is, of course, venison. Go ahead, please. Okay. I think, like, the antlers are weapons. That's that's its own thing, you know. Right. And also, like, they just, like, the fact that they, like, are, like, very skittish and just, like, running around in the woods in the dark— Oh, they love to do that. It's like, okay. And one thing I find scary about them is they 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 have little delicate ankles and legs. Yes, yes. Tiny, There's something prancy about that. Feet. Yeah, like if it's like a horse or like a moose where it's got like big legs. Big old it's clumpy. almost like, okay, that feels right. But you see yeah. a deer and it's like a, it's like a dog on little like tall stick legs. Awful. Yeah, yeah. I think like the fact that they're like um, thin and or physically fit is awful. Okay. Um. You know, just everything about their physicality upsets me, and then— And that's just because you're jealous of how fit they are, right? I would kill for the bone structure of most deer. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, you could definitely th- get your wrist like, around a deer's leg. Yeah. Don't do it. It's Don't dangerous, Don't do it. Get away from the deer. Um, Jessica in the chat <laughs> Hallie, how old do you think that kid is? <laughs> <laughs> We notoriously Ooh, right. don't understand okay. children's ages, so. Ooh, I, it's so funny. My friend Megan, uh, who I believe might be watching. Hi, Megan. I sent her a video. I'm like, haha, this is going to be one of your kids in a couple years. And she's like, you do understand that the, the vid- child of this video is younger than my son. And I'm like, no, I don't know. <laughs> and it's I, literally the only kid, like I know now, like uh, Dave, boyfriend of the pod, his son. Now that he is four, I know if a kid's four or under. So I will learn okay. it year by year. Right, but you're. Until he, you know, until I die. You're a pace with a child, you know. Yeah. And okay. I simply can't go past it. I Also, what am I going to just Google child age? Oh, come on. That's not oh, my business yeah, what you they can't. look like. You know well, what, what, mean? Would like even, what would even that say if you Googled, like, child know, age six? Because it's also, like, very different. Like, yeah. I was a huge child. I feel like people are constantly like, oh, you're, like, 12. And I'm like, I'm four. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> Me too. So, so, I okay, I'm going to say this. I believe he is in fifth grade, which means I believe hmm. that he's very small for a tween. Like, because you see the other okay. kids in his class and they're bigger. So I'm like, okay, I was going to guess that he was like 11, six, 12. But it's no, not he's definitely that. older than okay. that. Jesus. I mean, I guess I could look up how old the, all right, hang on. I mean, I don't also, know how important it is. No, this is a great question. And I'm not going to answer it. You're right. It's not that important. I also wanted to bring up that there is a, um, a like a, an urban legend, uh, the Appalachian ur- urban legend called the Not Deer. And it's basically oh. all these like sightings. <clears throat> and they're sort of the new slender man, the slender deer of people seeing um, deer who are like deformed or standing on their legs or look like all crazy. And then it turns out there's also, there is a disease uh, called wasting disease that deer get. So you might see a deer with a lot of problems. And it's yes. not that it's some sort of alien or creature. It's just, it, unfortunately, it's going through it's a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of issues. I get that. Um, and so we always uh, like to have Allison, before we get into it, guess the twist. Given what you know, simply from the trailer and our mutual distaste for a servid, what do you think the twist will be in Antlers? Guess the twist. I mean, I know there's a myth involved, so I think yes. maybe it's like that the myth is, I think that the myth will prove true. 
A hundred percent. We know that. We notice. In addition to that, I think um, something's probably up with the wood. Well, oh, the mine. I feel like mm-hmm. there's something in the mine. Maybe the mine is cursed. Um, I mean, you know what? This movie is um, obsessed with itself as a metaphor and use being a metaphor for a lot of different things. Great. What do you think the mind is a metaphor for? And then pro- I promise you guys we will get it in the movie yeah. right now. <laughs> um, I will say that the mind is a metaphor for childhood trauma. Great. Absolutely love it. Um, there's a lot of potentially different, different options in it. Uh, as we said, like a deer can mean a lot of different things. This is obviously... Not a nuts merely your run of the mill deer, and um, here we have a guest from Sarah. Is the deer the kid's mother? I love that. That's, that's great. A great. That's a great one. Um, but I mean, yeah, I hope what that's it mean. wrong. <laughs> but uh, and Tori, the deer is in the back of the boy's head. So for those of you who right. came to the Malignant show, uh, that is the twist twist in Malignant. One yes, of yeah, twists. he turns around and we just see a, a full-grown deer growing yes. out of the back of the boy's head. Um, Maria says, Carrie Russell is the deer. Love okay. it. A transformation, you know. She has very, like, fawn-like. I mean, she has, like, mm-hmm. you know, big, you know, the big eyes and, like, but she looks like a Disney deer, like a cute, nice one, not like a, a, ba- yeah, a, not like a real one. Um, oh, JT in the chat said, I think uh, servants have had enough of the backlash and commune yeah. with demons for revenge. Great. That's probably happening in real life as we speak now on Staten Island. And again, they wouldn't be wrong. Oh, no. yeah. They're like, you're going to come and try to circumcise us? We're going to go. We're <laughs> I like that we've gone with circumcise when it's definitely castrate. <laughs> um, so let us begin. Thank you so much for your, um, your guesses of the twist. Yes. And we'll begin antlers. And I said this before on the pod when we were leading up to the uh, podcast. Um, this is based on a short story called The Quiet Boy by Nick Antosca. Okay. Um, who was also involved with Channel Zero, which I've also talked about as a great horror TV show. is unfortunately been canceled, but he was one of the creators of that. So if you're interested, uh, please pursue this. If you're people who can tolerate um, horror or on the written word, please read The Quiet Boy because it's a really great short story. So the movie starts, Allison, with my favorite thing. <clears throat> Sorry, apparently I'm allergic to cranberry. My throat's closing up. Isn't that spooky? Okay. <laughs> we see text on screen, and we hear an indigenous woman text reading on screen. a warning. And I looked it up. It's in Ojibwe. And she okay. reads us a warning that says, Mother Earth has been pillaged, stripped of her life's blood, a violation that awakened the malevolent spirit, seeking the lost, the frail, the depraved. Pray it desires not you. Great. So we're off. I mean, I was like, that's okay. a horror movie, baby. We are we're in. in it. That, they are just pedal to the metal. Um, we open on the beautiful Oregonian um, seaside, basically. It's got, we got gray skies. We got pine forests, mm, mm-hmm. like mountains, gorgeous. It also, we see like abandoned gas stations, shut down stores. You know, we're, this is America. So it, it's beautiful. And, and somehow we've, we have ruined it. And society. Yes. And that's sort of one of the themes that's going to come up. I was going to say, now I already, just from the text on screen, I'm like, I think I could guess where the metaphors are going. <laughs> um, and so uh, we we arrive at an abandoned coal mine. And I was like, that's interesting. I didn't know they, they had coal mines in Oregon. And they don't really. The last one closed. They had a couple of closed last year. And I looked, and the story originally takes place in West Virginia. And I don't know if the they short just story? wanted to use— Yes. Okay. So I don't know if they wanted to use the specific mythology that we're going to learn about, or sure. it was just like, well, we're going to shoot in Oregon, and 
we'll just adapt it. They could right. cuz then I was like they could use it to be like silver mining or something that uh, Oregon actually has, but I think they're going for the environmental, yeah. you know, that's part of it. Okay. And I will say I looked up and coal is the this is not an anti-coal podcast. I guess it is cuz I now yes, I am anti-coal, but it's an anti-coal it's podcast. It's anti-coal. And the reason that people have such a problem with it is that it's the most carbon-dense fossil fuel. So yeah. it's like the dirtiest one and the worst for yeah. all kinds of pollution, but air pollution in particular. And it's because I was interesting that like after the pandemic, all these countries suddenly needed a lot of energy. So a lot of countries who were kind of moving away from coal immediately started to use coal again because it's the easiest to extract. Ugh. So I th- I'm assuming maybe that's their, I don't, well, this was made before the pandemic. Anywho, yeah. they're going for an environmental metaphor. So, but again, that's just one of the many metaphors that this movie is going to try to Multiple hit. Multiple metaphors. And Perfect. We'll keep so those I'll, aligned really easily. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of them are mixed, and a lot of them are, like, oh, not gosh. necessarily a successful metaphor. So I think we're going to do a really great job with that. I'm excited for us. So we open on a little boy named Aiden, and he is inside a pickup truck waiting outside the abandoned coal mine. And we see his dad, Frank Weaver, come out, and he puts a box in the truck bed, and Aiden says, well, why can't I come down to the mine with you? And Frank says, it's dangerous in there, and it's not a place for kids, but I'm going to be done in a minute, and we'll come out, and we'll go get your brother, Lucas. And meth, uh, Frank hands Aiden a bag full of meth to put in the glove compartment. It turns out the reason Frank is in the mine is he and his compatriot, who we find out later is named Kenny, okay. are, have a full-on meth lab Great. in, in the, the abandoned mine. mine. Jesus in the mine. Christ. Because, and I, I understand the logic is that, like, nobody's there. So it's like, who's going to go right. in the abandoned mine? No one's going to, yeah. like, find it. But also, like, if something happens, like, it won't be very obvious and it won't hurt yes. other people. Which I'm sure is not what their primary goal was. <laughs> right. Their primary goal was to make to meth. To And they're doing a fantastic job. Um, unfortunately, Frank is an addict and has sort of become involved in the, um, you know, making and selling of drugs in this town. Wait, is, so, who's Jesse Plemons? He's Paul. He's the oh, sheriff. We a- We're going to meet him later. Okay. No, this is, Frank is a, another great actor who who I don't know. Okay. Um, but he, he does a good job. So Frank goes back down. He puts on a gas mask and he goes to get Kenny. And they're like disassembling the lab. They're okay. like, okay, we're done. We got to like get out of here. Unfortunately, Allison, while they're down there, they hear what I would describe as like a dinosaur's roar from deeper in the cave. And Frank's like, it must be some kind of animal. And they're like, okay, but I thought you said this place was closed down. Like, what if it's a person? They are reopening the mine in a couple of weeks. And oh. I don't know, like, okay. the timeline exactly. Sure. But the idea is they have to take the lab down because somebody has come. They're going to reopen the mine. I don't know if that's how coal mines work. I don't know if they reopen a lot. But I could, I in this case. couldn't tell you one thing about coal mines. So. And I would never ask you yes, that because, because I know you wouldn't. We don't that, know anything. And that is what you're going to get from this podcast. It's zero of course, research. <laughs> they hear another roar and these guys freak out and Frank grabs a gun. And they're they're going to leave, but then Frank, in classic horror movie fashion, says, I'm going to go investigate a little bit. And he goes further into the mine, Allison, past a series of hanging bags that are of obviously what? placed there. The bags are like little leather pouches. It is clear, if you've seen a horror movie, that somebody has placed them there as sort of a guard or a ward, saying, do not go past here. There is something that is being kept there, and we are using non-Christian means of yes. keeping it um, securely in the mind. Yes. Frank goes past there. Kenny goes past there. All of a sudden, they are attacked by an unseen animal. So they are, they are something lunges out of them in the dark. Frank starts firing. Kenny's yelling, run, so we Frank, can't see run. Anything. 
No, this movie is so fucking dark. And also, we're not supposed to see it yet anyways. Okay, right, of course. All we know is that they are being fully torn apart. And we see these, like, embers flying out. So they're, like, uh, like, uh, like fire embers glowing and, like, sort of wafting out of the mine. Outside, Aiden waits for Frank. And Allison, he waits a long time. But eventually, Aiden, who I'm going to say I think he might be six, gets okay. up. And he goes to the door of the mine. And he says, Daddy... And he walks into the mine, and I hate it. And that's when we get the title card, Antlers. So both Frank and his son Aiden have walked into the mine. Okay. Three We've weeks later. We've seen violence, the, like, or the evidence of violence to Frank, but we don't see evidence of violence to Aiden. Correct. Okay. We, imp- we assume, but you're right, we do not see okay. him being specifically attacked. I will say one of my biggest weaknesses in doing this podcast is never remembering any of the character names um, and who is who. So I'm trying to do better about keeping straight, like, who the fuck we're talking about. The idea that I would pressure you to remember anything I just said is unfair, and I wouldn't do that. Greg in the chat said, that bit of mine, which iconic. (laughs) Love it. Um, Anyways, a child is now in danger. You know, I love that. And we find ourselves three weeks later— in a bathroom with Julia, Carrie Russell. Okay. She's a school teacher, and she's clearly super hungover. Like, her, she's, like, pulling it together to go back in. She's been, she's been struggling with her own demons, in this case, alcohol. Okay. She goes back in, and she's teaching. Again, I'm going to go and say fifth graders, all of whom look very disinterested or terrified when she's about to call on them. And on the board, we see the words, storytelling, myths, Native American. And Julia tells us, storytelling is a way for people to explain their world, pass on their culture. Here in Oregon, that started with our indigenous people. Native Americans teaching the younger people in their tribes about their community. Which I do think begs the question, why not hire some Native American people to be telling this story in a more specific way? To her as an educator about running the class or the filmmaker's as decision makers in involving indigenous people in the creation of this film. <laughs> I mean, I meant the latter. I okay. meant let's, and I, you know, I just think you're not getting like, okay, sure, there's not necessarily a Native American Carrie Russell, but we can, there very well could be. Well, we and, haven't ever And that's because she's not being hired. Yeah. Yes, right. So I'm saying this is specifically about a Native American myth. Get some more Native American actors in there. And yeah, I think Julia should bring in a Native American person to talk about their st- storytelling. Why yeah. not? You know? I mean, if you're living in a community where they allegedly still exist and have not been pushed out, um, and for full disclosure, um, maybe known to the podcast, I am part Native American, but have zero knowledge or ties or affiliations to anything about the culture and feel, you know, terrible even talking about it because it doesn't feel like mine, but it is. Um, and I want to say I'm glad to see it depicted on screen, but I know I'm not by, like, the nature of the film that we're watching. It's a complicated question. I feel like it's like if you're going to make an okay horror movie about something that is specific to culture, at least give people in that culture a paycheck. That's my policy. Yes, fully That's what I think. That's what it should be. Um, So we see uh, Julia teaching these kids about storytelling. We see the principal, Ellen Booth, and he, she brings this red-headed kid, Clint, back to class. He's obviously the troublemaker. He okay. reminds me of, and again, this is dating ourselves, in um, Billy Madison, like that family that's like, O'Doyle rules. And it's yes. like all these different kids. And so Clint's a very O'Doyle rules uh, character okay, in my perfect. mind. Yes, that all tracks. 
Um, and so she said, can somebody name like a fairy tale or a fable or a myth from any culture? And nobody wants to talk because it's, I, I get that, it's class. And he call, she calls on Lucas, who is a tiny little big-eyed boy we saw in the trailer. Okay. But he shakes his head. Allison, just to flag it now, Lucas is the brother of Aiden and, and Frank's other son. So okay. that Got was it. his father and his brother that went into the mine. Yes. We don't know what happened to them yet. But he, unfortunately, this entire movie, yeah, exactly. This poor little kid, not only did this something terrible happen to his family, we're to find out what it is, he has to keep going to school and be like, how am I going to do my fucking homework? And I feel so bad, and I've talked about this in the pod, like, I don't like seeing children hurt or endangered. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, mm -hmm. you can have that in a horror movie, but you really have to earn it. And I think that I don't know how I feel about this film, whether or not it does that, just because... Such horrible stuff happens to him. Yeah. As our as our as our other protagonists. We have Julia and yes. then Lucas. Alrighty. So she uh, Julia calls on Lucas, he shakes his head, he's like, oh, don't please don't ask me any of these questions. I I I'm dealing with a lot, you know. And Got a lot going uh, she's on. like, fine. She uh, asks, calls on ja Jasmine, the, the brown noser, and she's like, mm, Goldilocks. And mm -hmm. in the meantime, like Clint, the redheaded Odoyo rules kid is, like, teasing and, like, bothering Lucas during class. And he has a monkey puppet, like, those sock monkey puppets, or mm -hmm, a sock mm -hmm. monkey doll that were popular. Yeah, 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 And he's, like, humping it. And, like, I don't know whether he's, like, you're, like, the monkey or, like, just he's just doing it to screw with him. Sure. But again, on top of everything else going on in his life, um, he is being harassed by this kid, Clint. And the bell rings, and Julia reminds them, you're going to be writing a fairy tale or a horror, or like a, a fairy oh, tale God. or a fable, and you'll be reading it in class. So be prepared to read it. And they go outside, and in another sad moment, all of their book bags are lined up outside. And I was like, that's weird. I'm like, oh, it's from uh, school shootings. They, they're not allowed to bring their stuff into the school. Is that true? I don't know, but I think that's what the— Again, if you have a child, let us know. I mean, it's terrible, but I think that Ugh. there are some schools— like, because I think it's elementary school, so they don't have lockers, I think, was the issue. Oh, okay. So I think they're— So leave all I, your stuff out here just in case it's dangerous. Wow. Unfortunately, because all their stuff is out there, Lucas goes to get his backpack, and Clint has jammed the monkey doll in his book bag, and Lucas looks up, and Clinton is all— and all of his little asshole friends are just, like, laughing at him and tormenting him. And I think it's just because Lucas is, like, clearly the tiniest, like, meekest, like, quietest little student. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's going to be picked on by, uh, you know, a bigger asshole— and as Lucas goes home, you know, we see the town is shut down. He walks past the abandoned mine. We see a, a gas station shut down. Like, this is a town, like many small towns, really going through it after the main source of income, the mine shut down. Yeah. Allison, he's walking along the stony beach of the beautiful Oregonian coast, and he sees a skunk. Do you love Oregon? He picks up a giant rock, and the next thing we know, we see him carrying the dead skunk home. And he gets to his house, and it's scary and dark, and there's no electricity. And he goes to a door which has like six locks on it, and he looks, listens to the door, and he, he and then he hears nothing, so he unlocks the door. Over in town, Julia is buying groceries, and we see her white knuckling it to not buy booze, like the liquors behind the cashier, and yeah. she's like, "Oh God, I want gin so bad." We've all been there. I mean, but luckily, always. Right now, she powers right through. Now. Instead, she gets, like, a packet of extra gum. Julia, I think she's representing, like, somebody who has a darkness, has this, like, trauma, but is 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 trying to get through it. At okay. home, there's also a lot of, like, radio messages. So, like, she's at home washing dishes that night, and we hear on the radio, like, 
oh, the EPA like changed the rules, so the coal industry is going to reopen in Oregon because there's going to be mountaintop mining, which is, of course, horrible for the environment. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. And as if things weren't bad enough, Allison, Julia's going up to bed, and she stops on the stairs, and she catches a glimpse of the piano in the living room. And she walks over there, and we start to hear a little piano theme, and we look down and look through the grate into the basement, and we see a young girl crouched under the floor. It's a memory of young Julia okay. herself hiding from her father in the basement as her father, okay. in her memory, walks down the stairs. So not only do we have a creature, not only do we have something terrible happening to Lucas's father and brother, not, not only is Julia battling with alcoholism, we have to deal with the fact that, oh, great, so the reason she's an alcoholic is, unfortunately, her father. An alcoholic uh, father, a menacing, father. And a, a monster within the home. You know, we have a monster in the mind. We got a monster in the home. Thank God, luckily, Jesse Plemons walks in. And I love her. There are a lot of themes. So much. If you've never seen um, Game Night, please watch Game Night. He's the best part. He's like the strange neighbor. He's so good. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's great and really fun. It's super fun. Yeah. What a surprise. I haven't seen something. Or maybe I have it. I don't (laughs) know. Maybe you have. I saw it. Who could know? Um, So he plays Paul, who is Julia's brother and the town's sheriff. And which sounds like even a shittier job, even before this uh, creature in the mind is going to be is going to become a problem, because Paul's like, yeah, I have to go um, evict a family with children, and that is of course part of my job as a sheriff. So that's what oh, I fucking God. do every day. We don't Defund have a ton the of police. And then also, <laughs> well, it is one of those things where it's like he even it's like he shouldn't have to do that. Like nobody should be forced to throw children out of their home. Yeah, you know, they should be allowed to be in the that home. That shouldn't be happening. And they sort of, like, they awkwardly uh, discuss their days, you know, and Paul's like, you know, give the kids time. They'll really warm up to you. And Julia's like, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's not what I hoped it was. And mm. we sort of realize that Julia has just, has been gone for about 20 years, just moved back to town. She's living okay. with Paul in the meantime. But this is the house they grew up in. And as we've okay, already Okay, so that, that accounts hat, for the yeah. memories being so vivid. Yeah. And she and Paul sees her like looking at the piano. He's like, I can get this out of here, you know. And she's like, No, it's totally fine. And she enters like a reverie about her clearly fucked up father. And she goes over to a, a gallery wall, gorgeous, of the family and starts pulling down every photo with the photo of the dad in it. So, you know, being home is bringing up a lot of stuff, as yes. it would, of course, in my mind, I'm like, yes. sell the house. There's got to be another yeah. house you could live in in this town. There seem, but. Yes, there must be other homes. Like, you don't have to live in the mental prison of your childhood home that was, you know, run by your abusive father. There's exactly. no need for that. Yeah, and I mean, to be that again, it's like, oh, the housing market, you know, how much can you sell a house right. for? You got to buy a new yeah. home. Are you going to rent? I it is, it. you know, and it's a gorgeous house, uh, aside mm, from that. Oh, unfortunately, in another house, Lucas's house, he's looking at a photo of his father, of his family, but he's folded over the top so his father's tucked under. So he's just looking okay. at himself, his brother Aiden, and his mother. She did. She's not around. It's just Frank, Aiden, and Lucas. Unfortunately, as he's looking at this photo, we hear a thud from inside that locked door, and we just hear something rattling the knob and, like, grunting and screaming and groaning. And unfortunately, the thing thudding around in there, Allison, it's his dad, Frank. He's in the room with all the locks. Oh. In the morning, okay. we see Julia enjoying a cup of coffee and listening to a radio program about the opioid epidemic. Um, I mean, enough. Enough. And right it's, then, 
It's oh, not wow. enough. It's going to get so much worse. And I want to be clear, if you're listening to this, this is not like, an, like a malignant where we're going to have a good time. This shit gets even worse. It is oh, a dark horror movie. This is dark. This is just, just feels dark. Um, so None of the fun of old. No. I mean, maybe the same body count, but um, definitely not Oof. all the... It's not going to be as goofy as old. So... Yeah. Just oh, Courtney saying, in the chat said, burn the house down. Yes, burn the house down. Burn Start the over. fucking house down. Uh, just then, they're talking about the opioid crisis. Paul stomps in and he takes his pills. So we're, I think we're to think, oh, he's taking he, his, uh, you know, drug of choice. Julia is now calling. He's self-medicating with opioids, you know. And they're not talking to one another about their trauma. Neither right. of them seem to be in therapy, which unfortunately right. is like, I get it. You know, like, it's just hard to be like, all right, I had a, had a terrible day at work. Gonna go home and not have a drink and talk about my trauma. Like, it's, yeah. it's a hard thing to do. So I'm yes, very sympathetic. Absolutely. And Paul's like, "Why don't move my pills. Like, they, I keep them in one place and you put them over there. And she's like, I'm gonna move out as soon as possible. Paul's like, I'm not talking about that. You don't have to move out. Just move, don't move my stuff. And, and they're both like, oh, okay. And, and Paul's like, hey, I'm really sorry. I, I have to go evict this family. And Julia said, I wish you wouldn't, I wish you hadn't run for sheriff. And Paul's like, nobody else wanted to run after the last sheriff, Warren Stokes, retired. So, like, I ran because, like, at least a semi-decent human being would be the sheriff of this town, which, yeah. as we've seen, is struggling and also has uh, is a lot of meth labs and is dealing with the opioid edem- epidemic. Right. He is plus the sheriff. Coal. Yeah. And also plus the thing in the mind that we're going to deal with. And then with. whatever is living down there, that's going to ruin all of our lives. Um, back at school, uh, Julia calls on Lucas, being like, Lucas, uh, let's hear your story first. And Clint says, he can't read Miss Meadows. And it's like, I will kill this kid myself. I, leave him, a, leave Lucas alone. Leave Lucas alone. Leave Lucas alone. And all the kids laugh at it. And luckily, J- Jasmine, the brown, brown noser, is like, yes, he can. You know, he's trying to like, you know, I can't wait for all these kids to be eaten, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and so speaking for the first time in the film. So all this time, Lucas has been totally mute. He reads a story, and unfortunately, here's the story. <clears throat> Once there were three bears that lived in a dark and wet cave up above a small town. Big Bear, Little Bear, and Baby Bear. Big Bear used to take care of the little bears, but Big Bear got sick, lost his job, and his insides turned black. And as he's reading this, like, he has this sketch pad of, like, really gruesome, elaborate yes. red and black drawing of, like, bears, like, eating each other and bears eating people and eating other animals. Mm-hmm. And we end on the final image of Big Bear and Baby Bear, and they're tearing, tearing into an animal, and he says, one day Little Bear came home, and Big Bear and Baby Bear were different. Big Bear's sickness had gotten worse. Big Bear has become more angrier and meaner because they had no food, no meat, but they had each other. The end. And all the other kids and Julia are just staring at him. Mouths agape. Also, Lucas is is, is full of shirt. His shirt is full of holes. It's so sad. However, we, uh, Lucas is sort of like he's going to get like what get a little bit of a what up on Clint. As they go outside, Clint gla- grabs his book bag, and inside is the monkey doll that he had shoved into Lucas's backpack, and he has cut it into pieces. And also, Lucas has filled his backpack with dog shit, which, like, again, if you're going to— Don't fuck with Lucas, I guess, is what we're supposed to take. Yeah, I mean, that's really— Something. Unfortunately, Clint then just fucking slams Lucas against the door of the school mm. and is just like trying to shove the shit covered monkey head in his mouth until Ugh. Julia intervenes. Ugh. And this is when Julia's like, okay, so I guess I gotta like actually pay attention to my kids and like really yeah. get in there. Do some teaching, some real 
mentoring. And so she takes uh, Lucas to the nurse's office, and the nurse is inspecting him because he has, like, bruises, and he's incredibly thin and frail. And uh, Julia gets his file, and she goes to call his father, Frank. And unfortunately, Allison, he can't come to the phone right now. He is, of course, locked in a room, grunting and turning into some sort of creature. And as the phone rings in Lucas's house, we hear Frank throwing himself on the other side of the door. His eyes are jet black, and we oh, so we can see him. We can see him through a keyhole. We're in the house, and we're looking through a keyhole, Allison. And his face is a gosh darn mess. It's all scratched up and dirty, and his eyes are jet black. So as you can see, he's he's not able to talk to like a. Lucas's teacher. Like Like, maybe like a deer a little bit is what I'm Mm. thinking. So having failed at that, uh, Julia follows Lucas home and Lucas kind of stops outside uh, Mr. Finn's ice cream shop and looks inside like, I wish my life wasn't hell and I could have an ice cream cone. And Julia (laughs) said, well, why don't we go in there? I'll I'll treat you. You know, like trying to like talk to him. And they just sort of have like a cute uh, conversation. Julia's like, ice cream is my favorite vegetable. And Lucas is like, I'm not a dumb kid. Like I know it's not a vegetable. She's like, what's your favorite vegetable? He's like, donuts. You know, like they're having like a little fun thing. And unfortunately, she goes too far. You know, she asks him like you're, but your brother, it's like, oh, he doesn't come to school. Is he being homeschooled? And he's like, yeah, my brother's always with my dad. You know, like kind of not really answering the question. <sighs> it's like, oh, is your fr- your dad's at home? He's like, yeah, my dad's always home. And then finally, Julia fucks up and asks, you know, about the mom. And he said, my, if you knew everything, like, you know, from my file, you know my mom is dead. And Julia says, well, we have that in common. So they kind of bond over their dead sure. mothers uh, a little bit and— uh, you think like things are going well, but then finally Julia says, you know, sort of, um, why, why don't, like, what does your dad do? And Lucas says, mm-hmm. I have to go and do not follow me this time. And he leaves. And of course, Julia's in, like interest is now peaked. It's like, why is his right. little brother not in school? What right. does Frank Weaver do? Where is this guy? We, yeah, who's taking care of this kid? You know, and yeah. because of her own um, history of trauma, she's like, Great, his dad's like, yeah, yeah, like his dad's abusing him or neglecting him. Like, so of course he's now, she's now invested. Um, And we see Lucas walk home past the abandoned mine. And we see he follows a flock of vultures to some roadkill, which he has to take home because that's like part of his job now. This is a good question from the the chat in general. Is Lucas's brother older or younger than him? He is younger. So Lucas, I said 11, uh, it's actually 12 because I believe he says it. But he just looks very physically small. You know what I mean? So and then his younger brother was, like, six-ish? Yeah, six or seven. Like, not old enough to be, like, take care of himself or be aware of what's really going mm. on. Again, okay. please don't quote me on this. Where would somebody be taking no, that quote? I don't right. know. Yeah. This sounds right to me. Yeah, and also the idea of, like, okay, Frank Weaver is, like, homeschooling his younger kid. It's like, everyone knows that's not true. Like, Julia's like, yeah, yeah this guy is not homeschooling this kid. No. Allison, she, while Lucas is gathering a bunch of roadkill to take home, to feed his father, who is becoming something else. Julia goes to Lucas's house. She drives up. So she's getting home before he does. Okay. She goes to knock on the door, and she calls for Frank Weaver. The door is unlocked and open. And she just hears the door creep open, and then a series of, like, guttural grunts and thudding. This is just the door to the house, not the door to the room that he's, like, locked in. Yes. So the door to the house creaks open, but she could hear from inside all this thudding and animalistic growling, which brings us to the question, Allison, at this point in the film, what would you do? What would you do? 
I'm turning around. I'm calling somebody else to go investigate what's happening mm-hmm. in this house, why this kid is coming to school by himself, where is the dad, where is the brother, what's happening. I'm getting my shit, and I'm leaving this town. <laughs> like right. The, so you're abandoning is, a child that you know yes. is going through all this abuse. You're turning your yes. back on your responsibilities. The connection no, that you feel with the, this other, this child is going I'm through what you went through. I'm okay. responsibility to somebody else. <laughs> in this case, the responsible person may or may not be your brother. So you're kind of, instead of dealing with this, you're handing it off to someone you love that they now have to deal with it. And also, I mean, would you do that? Would you, would you do something like that? Yes. <laughs> For my own, to save my, I don't know what it's like to have a sibling. To me, I'm like, I don't know, it's like a friend. Um, like a dear friend that you grow like up with. A dear friend. A We'd dear friend? We also love friend? to open the question. Oh, my God. Yes. Love oh to open God. the question to the, the chat. Um, I yes. do think, and we know from, uh, we watch enough movies to know Maybe call a friend, much in like the the move the show. Ask a millionaire. Call a friend if you're going to go into a ask serious- a millionaire. That's what you think that show is called. I got, I got it. I got. Ask a millionaire. Who wants to be a millionaire? That's what it is. <laughs> ask a millionaire. And the millionaire's like, I don't know if it's not about money. I don't know the answer. Yeah, it looks like the chat is agreeing with me. Jill, call Plemons and get the fuck out. Yeah, of course. Like, get somebody else to deal with this. Like you, she is clearly not prepared to yes. do this. And, like, God knows what she's going to find. Jordana said, leave a note like a FedEx driver. Hey, you weren't here. I hope you're not turning into some sort of deer-like monster in there. We need to talk about your son. Yeah. I'll be back tomorrow at the same time because this time clearly doesn't work for you. So this will be when I come back. (laughs) Also, it's like school just let out. So it's like you're not home at 3 p.m. Yeah, nobody's home at 3 p.m. Like, I mean, before, in the before I mean, I guess we're all home at 3 p.m. now. But, yeah, I'm always home. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'd get I'd get out of there. Yeah, I I'd do think this movie is filled with people, unfortunately, saying, "I don't have to wait for somebody else to get here and help me out. I'm gonna go in myself," which I think is always a bad idea. Could not be me. Ask a millionaire to go with you. You know what I mean? If you have to, <laughs> and when I ask a millionaire, a lot of things. Uh, yeah, how'd you do it? Oh, you have rich parents. Yeah, there's. What are you gonna ask a millionaire? They don't know what yeah. the fuck's going on. Yeah, that's the only answer. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. All right. So luckily, this time, Julia does leave. So she took, thank you for the chat. She did take your advice. Okay. And she goes home and she has taken a a photo, or photo, Jesus, a photo that uh, Lucas drew, a a picture of essentially like a humanoid man screaming with a little boy figure in his mouth, like his like horrible tooth mouth. Awful shit. And he didn't even turn it in. He ripped it up and put it in the garbage. 
And Julia's like, this kid is being abused. I was abused. I something could see happening. it. Like, he, something horrible is happening in this house. Suddenly, Paul is there, and he startles her. And she's like, what the fuck? To come up from yeah. behind me? And he's like, oh, my God. Like, is this what you taught in California? You can't teach this kind of shit here. Look at the drawing. <laughs> and he tells him about, she tells him about Lucas. But obviously, like, it's hit a different nerve. So Julia tells Paul, you have every right to resent me. I left you here, but I couldn't live with here with him anymore. I've spent my entire life trying to deal with leaving you and trying to resolve my issues, which is why she drinks. And she said resolve my issues yes. like that. Now, that's not me. That's a direct okay. quote. Oh, okay. So that's, that's a line read. And Paul says, I spent my entire life hoping you'd come back. And the kind of nice thing is, well, she did come back. Unfortunately, yeah. they're both about to enter into a horrific... Woodland hellscape, but oh. she did come back, and and I, I it's tragic to think, but it's like this probably happens all the time, and you know people having to leave their younger siblings with an abusive parent because you left when you're 18, you have no money, right? You have no ability right. to take care of them, so it's kind of nice where it's like, well, she did come back, and they are going to take this on together. Uh, unfortunately, if not them, then another uh, brother sister yes. duo in the. Uh, house. Oh, Maria says, uh, this will forever be how I think of CPS as protecting servants. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> Cut to Lucas <laughs> Lucas butchering the roadkill in his house to bring it to his dad. And oh, finally... This poor kid. This, guy, this kid's life is a fucking nightmare. So he opens up all the locks of the door and he goes upstairs. So it's uh, the door to the attic, right? Mm. And we find out that not only is Frank in there... Aiden is in there. Yeah. And we get a good look at both of them. Well, not great look, but a good look at both of them. They're good still enough. human. They're still human, but they look really bad. Like Frank, his hair is all matted. He's crawling around on all fours. He's eating a dead, dead roadkill. And okay. Aiden is not quite so advanced, like far along, but he's he's pale and all of his veins are like black on his skin. Ugh. And Lucas climbs the stairs with like a miner's helmet. And it's because both of them can't really like, look at bright light anymore. So the the dad kind of comes over and he eats the cut-up meat and then he scurries back. Is that Deer's M.O.? No. Not looking at lights? I guess the headlights and cars are a whole thing. But, like, they, like, live and, like, they're not nocturnal. Like, they live in in sunlight. And I think they're, again, like, that's, like, in the original um, story where, like, they couldn't be in, like, it was kind of vampiric, I suppose. So they hated bright light. They couldn't enter, like, a pool of light. Um, In this movie... It doesn't really. It doesn't really track, but uh, okay. at least to establish, it doesn't like a bright light. It, it, they, okay. they, they, right. What has happened to them has made them shy away from a bright light. Yes. So as if you, that's bad, right? So that's going on at Lucas's house. Over at Julia's house, she's sitting down to play the piano. She's trying to reconnect with like her love of music. Unfortunately, she then has like a dream, sort of hallucination of her dad walking in behind her, and he starts to like put his hand down in his shirt her shirt, and, like, caressing her oh, neck. Oh, no. And then we see the fucking worst scene, like, shot of the movie, which is her father, totally nude, like, hunched over, uh, like, on her bed, sobbing and holding a teddy bear, crying. And we hear, like, a, a teen, you know, like, a young girl's voice saying, Dad, stop, you're hurting me. Awful shit. Oh. So Julia suddenly this screams. dark. Yes. Julia screams, and she's back in the living room, and Paul has startled okay. her again. Poor Paul. I believe, Paul. Like, I'm excited to have my sister here. I wish every time I watched her in the room, she didn't fucking scream, you know? He should wear, like, a, like, a, like you know how cats wear, like, a little collar with a bell <laughs> a on it? A little bell. So you know where- Honestly, it's not a bad idea. 
Is that a bad idea? I mean, honestly, like, people should just have more of what, like, I don't like to be scared, and I don't have, you know, even a fraction of the trauma that this character is dealing with. Like, just, yeah. you know, announce, like, let people know when you're around. Carry some tic nice. It would be nice to have a little, a little uh, dingling. It would be nice to have yeah. a little bell. A little bell, you know, like a yeah. kitty. Um, and Julia finally has Paul sit down with her, and she said, do you know Frank Weaver? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've cited him a million times. I've had to revive him with Narcan more times than I can count. He's a meth dealer, a meth maker. Like, he is constantly committing crimes in town. And she's like, well, I have to ask, given that, why is he not in jail? And why does he have custody of his children? And basically, it's like after Lucas's mother died, Mm -hmm. uh, the courts decided Frank was well enough or coherent enough or stable enough that he could retain custody of the children. Obviously, at this point, even beforehand, he probably shouldn't have had, but now definitely— We now, need to get definitely somebody not. in there to uh, reassess the situation. Again, yes. call, like you said, call Protective Services now. Right. Like, just be like, hey, I'm the sheriff. I'm I, pretty sure they could call and do that. Yeah. Check yeah. this out. Go see what's going on over here. And Julia says, like, well, I mean, when I went to his house, and Paul's like, you went to their house? You can't just go to their house and, like, bust in and be like, I would, like, address this. Like, especially if something fucked up is going on. Like, there's a procedure yeah. and, like— you're going to endanger yourself. You're not a police officer. Like, what are you doing? And Julia says, people think these problems are going to go away, and you and I know they don't. And so she started saying, like, you know what I'm talking about. We have to intervene. Unfortunately, back at home, Lucas is drawing the three bears again, and we hear a little voice from Aiden calling to him through the keyhole. And Aiden begs Lucas. He says, we're hungry. And sort of what we find out is the more they feed, the hungrier they become. And Lucas I don't like can't, that logic. No. And Lucas can't stand it, so he puts on his headphones and he clutches a baby doll to try to block no. out the noise. And this poor kid has to, like, sit in the dark, like, rocking, listening to his father, who is essentially an animal now, and his brother call for more meat. Like, this kid, he's trying to get an education, people. You can't just be, you can't yeah, be getting meat all day. Oh. In the morning, Lucas it's goes so to sad. set. It sucks. The whole thing sucks. I feel so it bad sucks. for him. It sucks. Um, he goes to set rabbit traps because he is a very resourceful little guy. I mean, if so, if if all of a sudden I found myself in this scenario at any age, yes, nobody would get any meat. I wouldn't know the first thing about. I mean, unless I could go to Whole Foods, like there's just not. Yeah. A oh solution. no, no, they would just be, and then, they, and then the, the, the movie doesn't really answer that. So, like, what if they don't have meat? What if there's no meat yeah, around? What like, right. But then yeah. he's, like, taking care of his dad and brother. Like, so I get yeah. Oh, little Lucas. Um, in the morning, Lucas uh, goes into the woods, and he's setting some rabbit traps. And unfortunately, because this kid can't catch a fucking break to save his life, he sees the old sheriff, for, uh, Sheriff uh, Warren Stokes. He's hunting. He's just—he has no role in this. He stumbles upon the torso of a human being who has been ripped limb from limb. It is Kenny, Frank's meth cooking partner. And his body has essentially been torn in half by an animal and left in the woods. So Lucas has to see that. And Lucas isn't stupid. He's like, fuck. This has to do with what's going on with my family. So he bolts out of there. Meanwhile, Julia's like, because she's become interested in Lucas and what's going on, she goes through his um, 
desk and she finds the Holy Bible, a book of how to make animal traps, a book of like Native American, like dangerous spirits and more horrific drawings, like drawing after drawing. And she takes them to Principal Ellen Booth and she says, this is not good. Look at this shit. Like he's obviously being abused. Like what the fuck is this? And Ellen says, yes, dad's Frank Weaver. Like I know he keeps getting arrested. He pulled out the younger son to homeschool him. You know, but Lucas's mom is dead. The state made a decision. It's out of our hands. Like, and Julia's, of course, like, well, things have changed. Like, even if that was true now, like, they need to be reassessed. Yes, absolutely. And Principal Ellen has the audacity to say to Julia, well, I mean, at least he's here. A lot of students, like, they're home because, like, the parents don't want us to smell meth on their clothes or they're actually moving product for their parents. So it's sort of like, well, at least if his situation is not as bad as every other kid's, then it's good. And it is good that he is at school. He could get meals and, like, somebody's paying attention to him. And Julia's like, that is not good enough. That's not good enough at all. That is not enough. And this principal has the audacity to say to her, this is a direct quote, next chance I get, I will reach out to his father. Oh, I'm sorry, Principal Ellen Booth. You're so busy? How about right now? How about you do it while I sit here? Yeah, right. What else are you doing? Back at the grocery store, Julia is white-knuckling it, trying not to buy booze. She already wanted it before, and now she's dealing with this shit. Yeah, she's got a lot on her plate. Yeah. As she walks outside, she sees the Sheriff Stokes, the former uh, sheriff, talking to Paul and Deputy Deputy Dan LaCroix, who I'm going to call Deputy Dan. And she overhears him telling him that he has found a lower torso in the woods. A lower torso? That were, in Stokes' words, chewed to hell. And Paul's like, great, my fucking job already sucks. All right, we'll go up there and take a look, you know. A lower torso that's been chewed to hell. Chewed to hell. Where's the other half? Who or what has been chewing on it? It's like, I don't even want to know answers. I mean, I know where this goes, but like, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, it's better to not know. I don't need to know. And Julia barges in and was like, what are you guys talking about? A lower torso. And Paul tells her like, yes, Stokes found this torso in the woods. The other half was found in the mine. So we have two crime scenes and they're thinking serial killer, something like that. Like somebody has killed somebody horrifically. Maybe it was like a drug dealer, like retribution or something. So Paul's mm-hmm. like, great, I got to do this now, you know. So they leave to go see the body. Um, over at Lucas's house, he has some candy. He doesn't have meat. He wasn't able to catch, catch any rabbits. So he brings candy to Aiden. And oh, no. Aiden can't eat it because it's not meat. So he starts, like, vomiting. But before he does, Aiden asks Lucas, is God really dead? God's <laughs> Daddy said God is dead. It's like, good Lord, these poor kids. And as I mean, he says it, yes. Uh, it's like, well, he's not wrong. Yes, is God dead? Sure. In this I situation, mean, it sure seems like In it. this family, yeah, God is dead. Like, Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Um, but also, we look over and we see Frank is hunched over and he's in pain and his chest is glowing and sort of emitting this burning, burning red. And it sort of brings to mind when we saw those embers floating embers. out of the mine. Great. So some, whatever Good. was in the mine is, has infected him. And, you know, and so Aiden's vomiting up the can- candy, <sighs> vomiting up all his black bile. Ugh. Finally, um, Paul and Stokes go over to the coroner's office. The coroner's like, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's every coroner in every horror movie. They're like, yes. God damn, it's, I've never seen anything like it. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. cut to the chase. Okay. And he, sa- he said, the determining the cause of death was tough. Oh, I bet it was, dude. Oh, like, really? Somebody's ripped in half. Just okay. this lower torso? 
And Paul Paul says, well, okay, it must have been done by like, if it wasn't a person, it must have been done by some kind of animal, like a bear. Or like what would have torn, like maybe somebody killed him and dumped him in the woods. And then a bear ripped him apart. And the coroner says, well, I got some bad news because there's uh, teeth marks on the bone and they appear to be human teeth. Come on. No. And Paul, because Paul's no. the last person clinging to Sandy, Paul says, t- well, there must be some sort of rational explanation. No, well, what is it, Paul? Be? Yeah, what, what could it? that possibly be? Also, just like, now I have a lot of questions about, like, the teeth. Yes. And I, and I don't want to think about teeth, um, but I am. And it's just like, I guess now I'm just curious about deer teeth. Yes. And we're going to get into... Uh, uh, by we, I mean us. We're going to discuss some of these questions because the movie doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Um, oh, Mel asks. Mel. Okay. Oh, go go ahead. Is lower torso code for ass? Mel, unfortunately, it is. But also it the is legs. Now. But also the it legs. It is now. It is now, from like the waist, the down. So the ass yeah, is waist included. Down. Yes, ass, genitals, and legs. Oh, <laughs> and you know that's bad. But then the other half is in the mind. So you got the face. You, I mean, you got face the rest and, of it. Face, chest, and arms. Yeah. So Paul's like, okay, well, I'm sure there's some rational explanation. Spoiler alert, Paul, there absolutely is not. No, how could, I would love to know what he thinks that is. Yeah. So luckily, well, not for her, but for the movie, the narrative, uh, moving the narrative along, um, Principal Ellen, you know, she said, I'll get around to it. She really does. She said that, but then she actually goes there. Unfortunately, this will be the last home visit Principal Ellen Booth will be making. Oh, no. And like Julia, she fucking goes to see Frank Weaver alone. Even if we we know that Frank is becoming some sort of crazy monster, if, like, why would you go alone to confront someone who you think is abusive, who is a right. criminal? Like, what who, do you do? Who, like, like, bring I, a second to Julia, at least. Like, known, like, yes. meth user. Like, you would just bring a second person with you. And even where she's more inquisitive than Julia. So the door's open. Ellen Booth walks in. And she's like, oh, shit. This place is a dump. There's no electricity other than, like, Lucas has to literally use, like, a miner's helmet and, like, flashlights and candles. Like, because he can't right. pay for the electric bill. There's, it smells oh. like shit. You could hear the flies. It smells of like course. death. So Ugh. she's like, oh, wow. Like, Julia was not fucking around. Allison, she comes to the door with all the locks in it. And the door with the locks also has one of those hanging bags, like the leather bag outside of it. Oh, Okay. And but Ellen hears Aiden's voice from inside, like whimpering and crying. So Aiden, so Ellen Booth's like, "Oh fuck, he's got his kid locked up here." And she undoes all the locks, and no. she goes up into the attic and she finds poor Aiden. He looks like hell, and she's like, "Oh my god, what has he been doing to you? You must be starving." And doesn't notice that Frank Weaver is sneaking up behind her and no. just abs- like brutally attacks her, bites yeah, off her of fingers, rips open her throat, and then starts biting off her face. And as we're watching this, we're cutting face. back and forth between like the scene of her attack and then Lucas at school. And Lucas is carving a ta- uh, like a talisman, like an animal okay. head. And then he's sure. dinging it into his hand. And I didn't know if we were supposed to be like, he's trying to do some sort of magic to stop this or... If this is just his anxiety, it's like he's self-harming or something. I don't know the answer to that. But anywho, it's terrible. And even worse than that, like, because Frank has attacked her, he has now ingested human flesh. And I don't think I need to tell you, you don't have to have a myth to say ingesting human flesh is bad. But for the purposes of our myth, they're exceedingly bad. bad. Right. So after he, he eats 
Ellen, uh, uh, like he it's essentially hollows out her torso. Oh. She, Frank Weaver starts to transform, and his chest is glowing, and his bones start breaking backwards and contorting. And then it's finally, the sound of the bones breaking. I think that oof. really is part. It's part of the trailer. It's like a known. I feel like it's very similar to like sounds from the wretched. Like I feel yeah. like that's like kind of a a proxy for this film a little bit, just in terms of some visuals. Yeah, and some stuff. a lot of creaking, like, a lot of it's popping. that like like wet cracking. Yes. Mm-mm. Also, I Not just want to say, Cecilia says in the chat, as a teacher, you always bring a second person on home visit. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That is just everything that everyone and- does in this movie, they should be with another person. Yes. But unfortunately, it's maybe it's about how we're alienated. We don't have the second person. Who's to say? Who knows? So um finally, as he's done transforming, his mouth stretches like an in into an inhuman maw. And we see a full set of antlers emerge from inside his mouth. From inside his mouth? Yes. They it is something is emerging from inside. Frank is a cocoon. Like and there's some he's a hush. Shedding his human form yes. and and emer- out of it is emerging. Um it's like that there was a great gif of um, I believe a Japanese um a baseball mascot. Uh, recently, where it was like oh, a, yes, it was yeah. like a, the fish, and like somebody in it is like the fish's skeleton, and they had the fish vomit up its own skeleton. That's what I'm imagining now is much cuter. Um, Play ball. We'll we'll, re- we'll retweet it so you can cleanse your <laughs> mind from this nightmare with this yeah. like very cute, fun like uh, sports moment. And I think that's absolutely unfortunately the thing coming out of Frank is much bigger than Frank, so he yeah. is just fucking. He's, he's cast aside like a like a beautiful oh, butterfly oh, coming oh. out of cocoon. But unfortunately, it is a instead of a butterfly, it's some sort of crazy skeleton deer moose wolf hybrid, is how I would describe it for now. But we don't really even though we don't really see the whole thing, like it's kind of shrouded. Meanwhile, Paul Stokes and Deputy Dan are over at the mine, and because that's where the other half of Kenny's torso was uh, body was found. And Paul's like, What are all these hanging bags? And finally, Stokes explains they're medicine bags. They're wards, okay. they're a defense, they're something a Native American person would make to ward from evil. Protect, yeah. And Paul says, so why are they here? And Stokes says nothing, and but he's kind of like, well, I have to assume it probably is whatever did this. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I don't know for sure, but I the wheels are turning. Yeah, it's going to put two and two together here. Yeah. Uh, and they also p- find part of an antler, but it's not from a deer, Allison. Unfortunately, it's not from any deer I've ever heard of. It's kind of how they say it. I'm like, what kind of deer have you heard what of? Kind of deer? There's yeah, a lot of different like, kinds. I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. What you know? I see an antler, and I'm like, that's got to be from a deer. Any so, deer. So tells him, you know, the mine goes further back, but I wouldn't go any further. Paul receives a call about a missing person, and unfortunately, that missing person is Principal Ellen Booth. And God bless Principal. Like, luckily she had a, a husband who cares about her who's going to be like, this is not like my wife, Principal Ellen Booth, to disappear yes. and not call me. She, uh, you know, I, I, we need to find out who she is. So not only do they have a murder on their hand, there is a missing teacher. Walking home from school, so it's like, you know, right after school time, Lucas hears what, again, I would call raptor sounds in the middle of the day and starts looking around. And right then he is confronted by that redheaded rat fuck, Clint, and he's and Clint goes, "Are you going home to your house full of freaks?" And then he calls him the f word. And I was like, "Boy, Clint, you don't know you're in a horror movie, but you're really looking to die today, aren't you?" Yeah, you are asking for it. 
And when Lucas turns to leave, both boys look up and they're confronted by, again, we don't see the whole thing, a gigantic antlered creature who descends on Clint and eats him alive. And it's like, well, Clint, goodbye, you suck, but you didn't really deserve to be like antlered to death, you know? Yeah, feature he rap was a on child. Clint. Yeah. Yeah. And like, clap out Clint, you know, everybody. Feature rap on Clint. Clint. You did a great job, Clint. So Lucas bolts through the wood, but he already knows what's up. He knows, and he runs inside. He sees the principal's car parked near his house. His dad, he runs up to the attic. His dad and brother are gone, and there's blood gone. everywhere. And there's a long trail of blood down the hallway, which we saw in the trailer, to a busted-out window. They are loose, and unfortunately, they are moose. Oh. Not specifically a moose, but they kind of have a moose-like quality. Moose-esque, uh, Leah uh, said from the chat, cause of death antlered. Oh, yeah. That's like cause of death old. I love it. Perfect. I, yeah, poor Frank. He would have wished. He would have wished to live on that beach. Um, so at Old home, beach sounds amazing compared to Oregon woods. Right, you just get to, well, I would say you get to die peacefully, but that's not true. Sometimes some people were not stabbed true. Those to look death. kind of horrific. Yeah. yeah, some people fell off the... The cliffs, some people turned into sort of a twisted monster after their bones kept yeah. healing wrong. Anyway, listen to our old episode. It's great. Back at home, Paul asked Julia, when's the last time you talked to Principal Ellen Booth? Because her husband called. He's, she's missing. And Julia's like, well, shit, because I talked to her about Frank Weaver, and I told her that she had to go check. And Paul's like, god damn it. Frank Weaver must be out here killing people. I so, mean, something like that. So they go, he, Paul and Stokes go to Lucas's house after a visit, and Lucas is in his house cleaning up frantically. He has thrown a tarp over the principal's car. He's covering up for his, for his father, even yes. though he now knows his father is a monster. But Does it feel like he fears for his life no. from his father or just no. to protect everyone else? He's protecting his father and brother. Okay. Because he knows, which is fair, if they're monsters— if they're and they're doing these things, if they're caught, they will be killed. Mm-hmm. Lucas is covering up for his family because, and I think we have sort of think of like trauma, like you know, he he loves them and like he knows that if people figure this out, one, everyone's going to hate his family, but two, they're going to kill them or, or whatever, yes. whatever version of the worst case scenario. To be fair, I and this is I'll tell you right now, and I say this all the time. If I become some sort of antlered creature who's out killing people else. And it is your responsibility to stop me. It is your responsibility. Don't clean up after me. That's not no, real love. You, real love is I, saying to you, you saying to someone, I me, think you've turned into some sort of homicidal demon monster, you know? Yes. And let the authorities deal with me. I am no longer your problem. Exactly. But he's busting his little tiny buns, cleaning up the, the house. Unfortunately, the house looks like a dump and still smells like death. So Paul and Stokes are like, okay, something bad's happening. Mm-hmm. Lucas won't answer the door, but they're like, we're going to get a warrant in the morning and we're going to come and we're going to figure something out. So, of course, Lucas is like, oh, boy, they're going to find out that my dad's a monster and my brother also maybe is a monster. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the, we hear radio reports. The, everyone's trying to report on their town because we've got a dead body, 22. The principal is missing. And then, of course, the worst redhead rat fuck this side of the Mississippi is now missing as well, Clint. So not only Clint. do we have two, we have one dead body, we have two missing people. Yes. And I know Paul and Stokes are probably at this point something's like, yeah, something is amiss. Something's a foot below a tiny little delicate ankle. <laughs> something is four a feet. Mm. Um, and so Paul tries to comfort like the teachers and Clint's parents. But like Principal Ellen is a woman, you know, she's a full grown red blooded woman. No, but like she's an adult. If she wanted to blow up her husband, she could leave. Clint is a child. He didn't just leave. Yes. 
You know what I mean? Right. So what, what can you say to people like, oh, a child's missing. That's probably okay, don't you think? It's like, no. Uh, according to Stephen in the chat, something's a hoof. Something is a hoof. <laughs> That's but what Ju- we were trying to find. <laughs> but Julia, the next day, is like, I'm going to take it and it matters my own hand. So while Lucas is at school, she goes to Lucas's house and she finds Ellen's car. And the scariest scene, the second scariest scene after the seeing the dad naked Father, on uh, yeah. Julia's bed, ugh, is the cut, we hear a flash bulb and it's a forensics team in the attic of Lucas's house. We see... Ellen's face torn off, her torso absolutely emptied of organs, and then they find Frank Weaver's body, and it has a charred cocoon. His oh, right, because the gone. body got left behind. And they're like, it, and they say in the movie, it looks like something just burst out of him. I mean, if just the shoe then, fits. <laughs> yeah, just then, Lucas gets home from school, and he freaks out. He's like, what are you guys doing in my house? But it's, I mean, it's the cops are there. Julia's there. So Paul and Julia take him to the what hospital. Yeah. yeah, like, we found out. like, And so now she's like, oh, my God, somebody else killed his dad. You're like, there is a murderer there. Frank is a victim, you know? And what did Lucas see? You know, like, what is, you know? Right. So Allegedly. Lucas is getting, like, uh, examined. And the most casual fucking doctor in the world comes over. And he's like, yeah, he's extremely malnourished. He's having some sort of psychiatric crisis, which is reasonable if he saw some murders, you know? Anyways, he's a long road to recovery. And by the way, I should say this, he's clearly been abused and for a long time. Anyways, talk to you guys later. And then walks away. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like it's like, I understand you need to get, like, um, exposition in. But, like, you, the doctor seemed like such, he's like, okay, bye, I'll see you later. It's like, bye. well, then what are you going to do? Give them some pamphlets or something, something, like, help them. And Julia says, well, he has to come stay with us. And Paul's like, Julia, he is a pivotal member, like somebody in a multiple homicide situation. The killer killed people in his home. We don't know where his younger brother is. Like, we right. to bring him home might be more potentially unsafe than taking him to another county, taking whatever. And Julia right. says, he's my student, so he's my responsibility. And Paul stops her and says, this is not about you. This is about him getting help. Don't put our past on him. And that's the first time they really, like, thesis. in a conversation, like, kind yeah. of, like, confronted one another, Addressed. like, that yes. thing that happened. And blew, Julia blows up, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, did Dad snap your arm in two? Did he force you to hide under the floor of that kitchen, praying you would never come home? Did you have to meet his every fucking need? Because I don't remember that. And Paul stops her and says, you have no idea what, you, what he did to me. Because she, they've never talked about she, it. Right. And it's right. a gutting and heartbreaking. It's like these two people live in this house mm. who are both abused by this person, and they've never had an honest conversation about it. Understandably, it's incredibly traumatic. But Julia stomps away, and needless to say, Lucas is going to come home and stay with them. And we sort of see Lucas. Okay. And in another gutting moment, you know, obviously they're getting ready to take him home. Lucas is flashing back to when his father came home after he was first affected by, after attacked by the creature. And he's incredibly sick, and he's shaking, his chest is glowing. Frank is the one who put those locks on the door. Frank is the one who secluded himself in the attic. And he's the one who said to his boys, I'm sick. Do not come in here. So Frank mm-hmm. was trying to protect his children. Yeah. He was trying to do the right thing. I, I mean, yeah. call a hospital. Call right. somebody. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been a smarter move. Unfortunately, Aiden was also infected in the mine. So right. eventually, Lucas knocks on the door— you know, this is in the past, and says Aiden is sick. And Frank opens the door, and Frank's already, like, his teeth are all fucked up, but he's, like, exhausted, and his hair is all matted, and he grabs Aiden, and he pulls him inside. And it's sort of like, that's where they were at. Like, Frank was trying to protect them. He just, he couldn't. It was impossible. And also, like, (sighs) how could you even, like, know what to do? This is It's not like, 
there is no, you know, path that we know you follow when this starts happening because this doesn't happen. However, we are about to find out at least some details because finally, Paul and Julia go to visit former Sheriff Stokes. And he has a, they have the medicine bag that was hanging outside the door that I Mm -hmm. think Lucas made. It could have been Frank, but somebody hung it outside the attic door and it's the exact same medicine bag we saw in the mine. And they show Stokes Lucas's sketch pad of all these images, all these creatures. And Stokes is like, is this dude native? And Julia says, no. And Stokes is like, well, how could that be? That's a great question. Should have been, would have been a better casting decision. Stokes pulls out a medicine bag and he shows Julia and Paul a book on Native American mythology. And unfortunately, the thing in the mind that killed Kenny and killed these other two people, spoiler, because we know we already know they're well, dead. I mean, I mean, we know. It seems to be attacking everyone is a Wendigo. And Stokes okay. tells them. It's the Wendigo. Translates to a diabolical wickedness that, uh, that devours mankind. According to legend, a group was trapped and a man ate human flesh out of necessity. Afterwards, the man became a crazed beast that eats forever, but is never satisfied. And Paul says, which you saw in the trailer, <laughs> that's a myth though, right? And Stokes says, well, sure, to you. To you. And so if you look it up, it's a, I, I think a lot of people have heard of the Wendigo. It's sort of, you know, built, yeah. built out of the taboo around eating human flesh, which actually is kind of sad because it's like, I just kind of think in the past, the only time anyone was eating human flesh was out of sheer necessity. But it is like a strong taboo. We all res- we all love to respect it, don't we, folks? Don't eat yes. human flesh. We all agree. It's a bad idea. But it is a Wendigo. It is a spirit that has infected Frank because he ate human flesh. And unfortunately, he is now voraciously hungry. And the more that he eats, the more he wants to the consume. More he wants to eat. Which is also like our destruction of the environment. It's also yeah. about like uh, tra- our, yeah, traumatizing uh, people, like uh, the vulnerable. Yeah, uh, cycles you know. of abuse. I would yes. say that uh, cycles of addiction. Yeah. Um, Just a real catch-all for any, you know, social metaphor you want to put onto this film. So Stokes tells them these spirits predate humanity, and they will also live past humanity, but they're angry because of how humans are treating each other and treating the environment. Luckily, there is a way to kill the Wendigo. Um, They become a week immediately after eating, and the only way to kill them is to extinguish their heart. So we saw the glowing heart. However, when they're killed— And that's immediately after it feeds— I, too, am at my weakest immediately after I've eaten. You could definitely attack me then. I'm laying on the couch being like, why did I eat that? <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, But when you kill it, the spirit will then search for another host. Um, okay. Meanwhile, okay. on the way home, Paul gets a call from Deputy Dan. They found Clint's baddie, ba- body. He, he's a baddie with a body, and they found his dead body <laughs> in the woods. Sorry, Clint. <laughs> He, of course, has also been absolutely torn apart. Paul stops on the way there, and they meet Jake the coroner, and he's like, yeah, this kid was eaten. Something is out here eating people, Paul. And Paul goes back to his car, and he says, Julia, I don't believe in myths. This has, there has to be a logical explanation. And Julia says, after, after everything you've seen, take me to the hospital. And Allison, they go to the hospital, they get Lucas, and they take him to their house, which brings me to my question. Hmm. Allison, who will survive? Who will survive? I mean, I hope little Lucas survives. I don't know what we're saying. Like, is is Frank already gone? Like, I guess this being. Yes, will this, will Wendigo Frank 
survive. Wendigo Frank. Okay. And we don't know what's going on with Aiden. No, not yet. So okay. in your mind, is Wendigo Frank going to survive? Um, no. I think that it, a theory I have perhaps is that Wendigo Frank, they kill him, but mm-hmm. Aiden uh, lives on, you know, because he's perhaps not exhibiting all of the uh, he hasn't, you know, exploded out right. of himself yet, and therefore they're just like, oh, this is a child we need to protect. And perhaps he is what goes on um, as the movie ends. And uh, I want Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons to both live because great. they have suffered already so much, and maybe Stokes dies. Okay, great. All right, Christina C., here we go. Wendigo's going to survive. It's just going to become disembodied, mm-hmm. which is a yeah, great point. We know it's really a spirit good. that has entered Frank, you know— Ostensibly, it was in somebody else before. We yes. know that it's a spirit that predates humanity. That makes right. sense. So it will, yes. Um, Allie said, I think Julia's brother will die and Julia and Lucas will survive, which I think is a very likely outcome. Um, Ryan, maybe the Wendigo ate your baby. Um. Um, well, you could definitely say that to Clint's mom because Wendigo absolutely Aww. ate her baby. Yeah. Clint sucks. No, it's just like he's young enough. It's almost like if Clint was 15, I'd be like, all right, that guy could die. But like, because he's like 11, He's a little 12, too like, young. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was an asshole, but clearly there's nobody at home guiding him. And uh, no. well, I guess it's okay when to go wait him, I suppose. <laughs> Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. That night, Deputy Dan is stationed outside Julian Paul's house. Julia has Lucas inside, and Paul is wrapping up a meeting with the mayor in town regarding the horrific murders. Yes. Allison, once again, he is, a Deputy Dan is out there alone. They couldn't scratch up a third fucking cop to sit in like, the car. How many people live in this town? 14? Like, what? I, it just seems like everybody's doing everything now. alone. I mean, <laughs> everyone's doing everything alone. And Paul calls him and says, hey, I'm heading back to the house, but can you take a look around? It couldn't be me. If I was him, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'm going to stay in the house, or stay in the car, or the house, actually. So Dan starts patrolling around the house. We know that we could hear these, like, far-off, like, animal cries and grunts. Yes. It's the fucking Wendigo. You know, it's on yeah, of course. Way. Who else but the Wendigo? Julia sits down with Lucas to give him some tough truths and to share some of her own issues, which is good. When you're traumatized, you need an adult to share some of their trauma with you. That's really going to yeah. help. You need to process somebody else's uh, life grief. Yeah. Julia says, you know how we both have dead moms? Well, what I didn't tell you was that my dad died too. And Lucas says, how did he die? And Julia says, well, he kind of did it to himself. So that's like a whole other thing. Oh, God. Lucas says, when? And Julia says, that's not too long ago. So we presume, okay, her father died by suicide. And then she moved home. That's when she came back. Yes. And Lucas says, were you here when he died? And Julia says, no. And Lucas says, why? Don't you love your father? Oh, little 
Lucas. And Julia says, well, no, I moved back here to be with my brother. We grew up in the house and we missed him. So I think she's trying to steer us to like, your dad's kind of a foregone conclusion, but maybe we get some information out of you to help your brother. Because Aiden's yeah. still out there. Right. We have not seen what on. has happened to him. Yeah. So, so steering him and sort of connecting with him, like, I have a brother, you have a brother. We got to take care of our brothers, right? Don't we? That's why I came back. I came back to take care of him. Outside, Deputy Dan hears an inhuman scream from inside the shed. Allison, oh, a shed? A shed is in the mix now? motherfucker just walks up to the shed with a flashlight and his gun out. Like, a serial killer hasn't been murdering people. Even if that's a human, you're going to take right, that's the thing. like, even separate from the absolutely outrageously violent animal-human hybrid demon that's, yeah. you know, terrorizing this town, even if you just think it's a person with a knife. Yeah. Why are you alone? Julia Why are you said, walking up to this shed? Julia tells Lucas, did they tell you at the hospital that your dad has died? And Lucas says, he's not dead. And Julia's like, I'm really sorry, but he is. My brother Paul found his body in your house. And Lucas tells her, no, that was my old dad, the one who was sick and mean. My new dad is with Aiden. And Aiden doesn't understand, but it's okay. I just need to feed him, and he'll love me. So it's like Lucas knows that Frank is a Wendigo or a creature, but he's like, no, no, we can still work. We can still be a family. We can can still work. And and Lucas is showing Julia his sketchbook, all these terrible sketches. He said, see, I told you he's going to come for me and take me to the mine with Aiden. And just then they hear a scream, and Lucas says, he's here. Meanwhile, fucking deputy dumbass is out there opening the shed door. Oh, Belle in the chat. Never go into a shed, even if it's your own. That's, I mean, those are words to live by. Exactly. You're allowed to go into a shed once, and that is the first day that it is built, and you open the door, you go inside, and then, then you never go there again. Never again. Never again. Um, meanwhile, we hear this scream. Dan has the decency to call Paul, but he keeps going to the shed. He's not like, oh, by the way, there's a fucking monster, obviously. And Julia's phone is ringing, but she's too frantic, and she goes and she hides Lucas in the kitchen. But the thing is, Lucas wants to see his brother Aiden. Like, he wants to go with Frank and Aiden. So he's right. not right. really, They're he's kind of resistant. Unit. Yeah. Um, also, Julia tries to get the guns out of the gun case and it's locked. So read it in that way, you will. This is like oh a, a, a gun rights uh, film, if I've ever seen one. Finally, Deputy Dan opens the shed door and he finds Aiden shivering in a box. But unfortunately, Allison, he's bait. And fucking antlers explode through Dan's chest from behind. It's oh the Wendigo. And just shreds him. Like, the antlers burst through his, his chest cavity. He's screaming. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Allison, Paul arrives just then. He gets out, and he starts going to the shed. He's, it's like, give the shed a right. Like, don't go to the shed. So Julia sees Paul. She's distracted by her, his, her concern from him. And in that moment of distraction, Lucas bolts out of the house. So Julia has now lost Lucas, and Paul is going towards the shed. And he finds Dan's gored body. And he tells him it's okay. It's obviously not going to be okay. It's it's not okay. Nothing is okay. Suddenly, Paul gets gored by the Wendigo and thrown into the corner. Only to have the Wendigo crash through the shed and attack him again. And Paul is like vomiting blood. And the Wendigo is dragging him through, straight through the wall. And Paul's like screaming. And he's trying to fight him off with a guarded implement. And fortunately, Paul, unlike Dan, has a bulletproof vest. So he's not okay. entirely able to get like gored in the same way. And he I mean, survives, nice. but just barely. And Julia has to choose to go out there alone and go help him. 
And she finds Dan's body, but Paul is alive, but barely. And she hears the Wendigo scream, and Julia realizes she has to go to the mine. It's the only other place Lucas has talked about because he wants to be with Aiden. Oh, so she she has to go to the mine to find Lucas, not like for any solution to this nightmare. No, she's just going to go to the mine where the Wendigo is and dot, 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 question mark. See what happens? I don't know. And just like that. And just like that. Yeah, she's going to ride her Peloton she's putting all the way the, there. Yeah, she's putting the Wendigo on a Peloton, and she's like, survive this. Um, sorry, spoilers. Paul is, um, <laughs> Megan says, the way to a Wendigo's heart is through his stomach. True words. Never said. Very true. Very true. Um, she, Paul says, leave me here, which honestly probably would have been better. He's like, leave me here. Don't go to yeah. the mine and protect yourself. Instead, she puts Paul in the car, takes his gun, drives to the mine, and it's just going to go fuck it. You know, like, she's just going to go in there Rambo style and take out this Wendigo. I mean, yeah, more power to you, Carrie Russell. Finally, but she— Couldn't be me. She gets to the mine. She leaves. She Luckily, she calls in on Paul's radio. If it was me, I wouldn't know how to use the radio. Also, I'd be driving we to beautiful San Francisco. Our, I'd be fucking yep. driving out of town. Yep, just keep going until you hit another city. <laughs> Um, she arrives at the mine, she calls for help, but she leaves Paul in the car and she goes into the mine, Allison. And we see her, she's kind of stumbling past the medicine bags only to find Lucas and Aiden huddled, terrified no. in, a part, in a part of the mine. And she turns and she sees Wendigo Frank, who is feeding on a bear that I guess it ostensibly just found in the woods Christ. or killed. And we finally get to see the Wendigo in full, and it's terrifying. And it's the monster design is very scary. And it's like a moose skeleton wolf deer hybrid with human like hands on the end of its little deer thin legs. And it's got this massive twisted antlers out of what looks like a gigantic wolf skull. Um, and in the best moment, the Wendigo turns to her, and the only part of Frank that is still clinging to it is like, Frank's face that looks like a Korean face mask. You know oh, what I mean? Like, cool. Nothing so about like, that is chilling. So you can see his beard, and it's kind of like over this gigantic, like, monster uh, skull. Fabulous. Absolutely love it. Mm-mm. And it rears up and screams, and we see its sort of glowing chest, and it knocks Julia to the uh, ground, and she has to scramble around with a gun, and she starts firing wildly into the dark. And finally, the monster goes up and he pulls off the Frank face and throws it away. So even the monster knows, okay, let's That's fucking get over. down to it, bitch. Like, put him up, you know? <laughs> Luckily, as Stokes has told us, the Wendigo is weakest right after eating. And it, and it also just... maybe hates the light. Unclear it was out during the day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't really follow the light rules here, but... And Julia lights a, a flare. Yeah, Julia lights a flare, and she's able to hold it off, and finally she grabs a pole, and she jams it into the Wendigo's burning chest cavity. And it's mm-hmm. screaming, it's flailing around, and it attacks her again, only for Lucas to pull out his little um, knife that he was whittling that talisman with, and he stabs the monster right in the heart, and it collapses to the ground. And stabbing it over and over again, Julia pulls out its burning heart, screaming as it burns her hands, and finally, the Wendigo is dead. Say it with me, everybody. Unfortunately, as she turns around, we hear Aiden start screaming like an animal. The Wendigo spirit has been defeated in Frank's body, and like we said, it has become disembodied and leapt into Aiden's body. These rules don't just work for right. me. No rules. No rules just right. <laughs> no rules just right. Antlers. 
Yes. And Julia <laughs> turns with horror, and we see Aiden start to Wendigo afi, and his chest is glowing, and his veins are popping out, and his eyes go white. And Julia gets up with a knife and goes towards him. And Luca says, no, he's going to be okay. He's just sick. And Julia says, I'm sorry. He's never going to get better. It's too late for him. Girl, how do you know that? You can't even I mean, wait a minute to call Stokes and be like, hey, by the way, we should have asked this during our meeting. Right. Is there what any happened? way to fix this? You just have to kill the person? Like, you don't know. Like, the idea that she's like, there's nothing we could do. It's like, boy, what a white woman thing to say. It's like, you yeah. know, you could place, you could walk him out here. Because it wasn't like Frank had a little bit of time. You know what I mean? Like, and also you just killed the Wendigo. If you really have to, you could kill him in 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah, I guess like, you could give it a minute. He's two feet tall, but... you know? Oh, so you're saying go for it. I'm just like, the, look, the 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 pattern that we've seen mm. uh, is that things are only going to get worse. Well, Allison, then I think you'd like the ending of this movie. Great. Because finally Lucas nods and he understands. And Julia tells him, look away. And we see her hug Aiden and lift the knife behind his back. And she cries and she tells him, I'm so sorry. And Lucas covers his ears and we look at him. And we hear Aiden screaming. And I mean, it's tastefully off, off camera. And okay, we hear great. the knife plunging into his back like three or four Jesus times. Jesus Christ. Unearned. An unearned child murder. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Like, make a better movie and I will revisit and be like, maybe this is okay. When I, I, I was in the theater like, oh, how dare you make me watch this whole movie and have that be the ending. Yeah. Yeah. And also the metaphor, which we'll get to, it's like, so wait, what? Like, we're supposed to be like, okay, so things can't get better. Like, like so. Right. Yeah, there is you no, know, like, like, breaking cycles of, of whatever, no you know, trauma, addiction, like, all you know, addiction, all these things. So finally, sometime later, obviously the next day, Paul and Julia are watching Lucas play on the rock beach. And Paul says, what are we going to do with him? It's like living with a tiger cub. You know what he's going to grow into. And Julia's like, no, we have no choice. Like, he's our responsibility. And Paul set, looks at her and says, do you think you could kill something you love? And Julia kind of looks, gives him a look like, okay. And she takes Lucas away to the car. However, Paul stays behind and he starts coughing, much like I was doing. And we see Paul look at his hand and he's coughed up a ton of black bile. And he looks up like he understands that the spirit of the Wendigo has not gone into Lucas, and that's all they have to worry about. It has gone into him. The Endigo. <laughs> Allison. Uh, okay. Well, let's go do Fatal Mistakes first, and then we can start we'll do Fatal Mistakes questions. first, and then Fatal we'll, mistake, yes. yes. Fatal Mistakes. I would say uh, one after another, almost every decision was a bad one. But I think moving back to your hometown. Oh, back so you're going all the, the way back. Okay. Back, moving back to the home where you suffer. Like, what she should have done has been like, Jesse Plemons, like, we're getting out of here. Like, we're mo- we're moving. We're moving yes. to another place. We're leaving all come of this behind me, us. Come join me wherever she's been the last 20. Uh, California. Come to California. Right. Come to California. Why are we going back to Oregon? There's no reason. But I guess Paul's a good person, and he does. He's like, I ran for sheriff. I really do want to help this town. Unfortunately, this yes. will lead uh, to him being a Wendigo. And I think what we've said, um, never go anywhere alone. Yes, yes. As a blanket statement, don't do it. Just don't do it. Every single person went somewhere alone, and it was a nightmare. Bell (laughs) said, fatal mistake. Cole, correct. Cole, using it. Going anywhere where it is. Getting Um, it. Getting it. Uh, Mel Uh, says, fatal mistake. Sheds. Huge fatal mistake. 
Huge Creeping, going towards him with a light uh, flashlight alone, opening it at night. What are we doing? Yes. Yeah, going into a mine. Yes, like Thank not you, even like like let's even take out like Carrie Russell going. Oh, that there was Jill. Sorry, Jill for the failed mistake of mine. Yes, even separate from the ending of her going there to try and like wrap all this up. D- don't even make your meth there. Like it doesn't even seem. Honestly, oh, doesn't there seem there could have been safe. a collapse? Or, like you don't know what's. I mean, I guess if you're making meth, your you know priorities are like more about the meth than anything Probably else. Sh- but yeah, not not fully um, there. But like again, it's like I don't know. Be, like, if they hadn't been down there, like, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, Ariel, yeah. not hiring uh, Native people to be in this or help with this or, you know. Yeah. And uh, Joe Huge says, point. living in Oregon, which brings me to a little segment I'm calling Servid Says, where Aww. I'm going to ask a couple of uh, questions about, um, Steven says, a shed in a mine in one town, dude from the start. Absolutely. Correct. I'm going to ask you some logistical questions about what you think the movie, what was going on in the movie. Okay, if great. Would love. the when, So the originally the spirit of the Wendigo was in the mine and it killed Kenny and it infected Frank and affected Aiden. Right. So when that torn but, up body was found in the woods, was that Frank who tore up that body? And if so, then he's already eaten human flesh. Or if it's the beginning spirit, then that spirit's already loose and killing people. Who killed the body in the woods? I don't get that. Oh, I, I thought the body also, in the woods was Kenny? No, I'm saying who killed Kenny? Oh, my God. Who killed Kenny? Oh, my God. We really came full circle Shout there. out to South Park. I have, Shout have out not, to South Park. Show I've not Still watched around. literally 20 years. Yeah, same. Um, also, if you think you know the answer to these questions, please put it in the chat. Yes, yes. These if are genuine can questions. Answer this, yeah. I I can't answer that. I I will follow. I will answer that question with another question. Which oh, is the like, best way to answer a question. What was in the mind? Like, was the Wendigo like who had it embodied? Like, it clear. Like, yes. does it always have to live in a body? And if so, like, was that like who was that? Or it's like was yes. the, was the torn up body the former body of whatever the Wendigo? A great what? question. But it would have been. It would have been more like you know. Uh, deteriorated, I guess. And and th- th- and I think my response to that would be like, yeah, it would make more sense if it's sort of like, oh, a miner disappeared in the 40s. Right. right. A- a- after killing a bunch of people and nobody used, we had to shut the mine down or something like that to be like. Because somebody knew to hang all that shit there so it which, wouldn't get out. Which so brings who- me to my next question. Why was former Sheriff uh, Warren Stokes not more freaked out and concerned and offering more options and suggestions when talking about the Wendigo. Because literally, he knows what it is, and then he offers them, like, a little bit of a rundown. He doesn't say, "Uh, by the way, like, it's like, he acts so disinterested that it, it, I was like, does this only kill white people? (laughs) Like, the way he asks is like, yeah. What, why are you so not like, dear God, you know? Laissez-faire about it. And I'm like, you have a lot of information about this, like, yeah, to not really give a shit. Like, you know so much about, like, what's going on. Even yes. if you, you don't believe it's true, like, do the math. Something's afoot. Because it's like, well, it could, okay, then here's the other thing is, how does the Wendigo decide what, the Wendigo spirit, how does it decide who to go into? Well, and, like, a part of me was thinking, like, oh, because, like, so, like, Frank and Aiden, like, Aiden was sick and infected, but he didn't have the Wendigo in him until it left Frank's body. So did it have to be, like, 
Like, because I feel like, be, yeah. like you have to, maybe like the Wendigo body has to draw blood from you in order to go into you. Because like the fact that he went into Jesse Plemons and not Aiden, but he had been attacked makes me think that perhaps Yeah, that's that. a great point. Um, because, yeah, because Aiden was not, didn't eat human flesh, so it can't be that. Mm-hmm. And Paul's the only one who survived other than Aiden. Right. So, Aiden, I mean, I think, unfortunately, Paul has a responsibility. He now has to take himself out. Right, he knows. But, like, but like, could you kill yourself? Like, could you pierce your own heart? Like, would that do anything? I would think so, but again, uh, we need to see more than two pages open of that book. Because yes, he's like, here's yes. a book. I was like, did they take the book? Is the book from the library? Did they make copies? Where'd the book come from? Um, and then finally, Servant says, here, I'm going to ask you to pick, if you could have narrowed this down to one metaphor, which one would you have picked? If you were to narrow this down to one metaphor, what would you pick? Yeah, here's, um, here's the ones I feel like we touch on. Um, okay. Addiction. Child abuse. Specifically, as it relates to cycles of trauma, environmental decay, and then mm. I guess like America. I mean, America is such a catch-all, but it is kind of an appropriate one here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess environmental decay seems like the most one-to-one in terms of like how it's described in the like how the Wendigo is described as like it hates how humans treat each other and how they treat the earth. Like, I feel like yes. that's the most, like, linear and metaphor. And also, yes, I agree with that, especially because, well, we know the mind is reopening, which is an element that I don't really know why. It's almost like, one, that it should have been coming out because the mind was reopening. But two, right. does that then mean if the mind was reopening that it would have been unleashed with by one of the miners? Potentially. Right. 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 I can't answer these questions. I have I no mean, idea. I don't think anyone. Sh- and I, I don't, don't think anybody to. can. And I would like to talk to the screenwriter and be like, "You walk us through this." <laughs> and I just want to add because I did look up Wendigo. I did a little research. J.K. I just mm-hmm. looked at uh, Wikipedia, you know, while watching the movie. Right. And it is interesting. So in so they also say like you know the Wendigo says it invokes feelings of insatiable greed, hunger, the desire to cannibalize. Um, and commit murder. In modern mm-hmm. psychiatry, the Wendigo lends its name to a form of psychosis known as Wendigo psychosis, which is characterized by symptoms such as an intense craving for human flesh and an intense fear of becoming a cannibal. And Wendigo psychosis is described as a culture-bound syndrome. Some First Nation communities, other symptoms such as insatiable greed or destruction of the environment are also thought to be symptoms mm. of Wendigo psychosis. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example of like, like the movie says, like storytelling... Using yes. stories to like explain things that are horrific and unexplainable about the world. Unfortunately, then if you're gonna make that a literal metaphor, then you gotta really expand on the specifics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like that on yeah. paper, absolutely. In practice, I'm like, why does the Some Wendigo holes. want to be in the mine? Why does right? It, it, why did like what? I feel like it was confined to the mine, but then it chose to go back to the mine. Mm, I see. Yeah, I mean. Who's to say? Who's to say? Not, not us. A, not we us. We didn't make this movie. Absolutely not, not. Which brings us, finally, Allison, where would you put antlers on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. This is a high one. For, I think, like, the inherent darkness of all of the themes of the movie and everybody's personal abuse traumas 
brings this much higher on the spooky scale than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. I, I'm going to throw out eight. I think it's an eight. Okay, great, an eight. Um, I'm going to give this, oh God, a five. I think it's visually very beautiful and like the scary, the monster's incredible. There are very specific moments that are very jarring. Like when you finally see Principal Ellen Booth's, the most dedicated uh, educator in Oregon, her body for the first time. Yeah. And, but I will say, I it feels like it got so bogged down in metaphor. And mm-hmm. then you really only see the monster like at the end for the most yeah. part. Yeah. That I, I felt like, it, it felt like it was a translation of a... Um, Mm-hmm. Short story. It almost felt like mm-hmm. we could have had more. We could have yeah. seen it earlier. Could've, we we could have more. We could have had more. But it's, again, it's a, a perfectly average. Uh, enjoyed a lot of it. Would happily watch it again. But in terms of being scary, it's just, it's just not up there for me. And also, wow. we have an announcement to make. And it's an extremely dumb announcement. Yes. Oh, yes. Perhaps one of our dumbest. And we have decided... And this seemed like the appropriate time to, to release yes. this information. The name of the fans of our podcast. And we went back and forth. We and, had a lot of contenders, but only Allison, one really makes the most sense. We are going to call our fans Serve Idiots. Serve Idiots. <laughs> serve Idiots. So to all of the Serve Idiots that are watching, thank you guys so much for buying tickets to come to come to see this show. Um, we we deeply apologize for the issues, but hopefully everybody was able to like for the most part enjoy and watch and have fun. And please, oh you gotta keep, keep it, it spooky. spooky. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you guys. Bye. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.